welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Recover You. I'm so excited to have Charles Roberts on this episode. Charles is a licensed professional counselor in Louisiana, a licensed professional clinical counselor with supervisor designation in Ohio. He is a developmental and relational trauma therapist, a certified experiential therapist, and he has extensive training in EMDR and psychodrama and is certified in brain spotting. Charles completed his training for sex addiction therapy from the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. He is the owner of the Welcoming Place Counseling and Coaching LLC. And in addition to running a successful private practice, Charles contracts with on-site workshops based in Tennessee, leading three group intensives, healthy love and relationships, healing trauma, and living centered as well as being a Tara Hope Recovery Coach. So we are so, so, so excited to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. And I will make one correction in the bio because I have not updated it. And that is that I'm no longer licensed in Louisiana. Oh, okay. <laughs> moving to Ohio. I just let that one go and I'm just licensed here. Um, Sorry, Louisiana. <laughs> That's You're- all right. Their loss for sure. Well, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, Many people in our immediate circle are going to recognize the fact that you were Patrick's therapist through recovery, and we just so appreciate you. And we also want to put a little caveat in here just for anybody listening to recognize that we have had this conversation before this episode is recorded, that we all give full permission to talk about um, our personal story and Patrick's sessions if that comes up. So if anything is said, it is done with full permission. This is not something that Charles takes lightly um, when it comes to uh, sharing details of his client sessions or anything like that. He's very, very careful about privacy. So we just want to make sure that if you're listening and you hear anything that kind of raises a red flag, he has full, full, full permission from us to share anything about our story and any of the experiences that we've had together. So we want to just make sure that's very clear. Now, we're so excited to have you on today because um, one of the things that really stood out in all of our interactions with you was what a compassionate therapist um, you are and just what a compassionate person you are and how you show up and and use the compassionate model in all of your interactions. And Patrick would always come back from his sessions and share kind of what, what happened and how, what you guys talked about. And every single time, um, it was just... It was so impactful and helpful. And, you know, of course, he would go and share when we were struggling with something and and all of the advice that you would give to him that he would then give to me. (laughs) I also very much appreciate it. And so we just we just really want to thank you. Um, publicly, first of all, but, um, you know, you've made a huge impact on our lives. But the thing that we really noticed, you know, we we. have just really this, the thing that has been really primary from you is the empathy and compassion. And so I'm just curious how much of that is just who you are, how much of that has been learned from life or even, you know, come from your training or experience. Mm -hmm. I love that question. Um, So um, there's multifaceted answer here. One is that I, I do believe that I was born a sensitive human being, right? So I, I'm pretty sure um, came into the world pretty pretty sensitive, um, and and with that um, uh, have a, a whole lot of trauma that I absorbed uh, in my early years, my developmental years, uh, and so being a, a sensitive boy and um, in a in a very traumatic place made me very aware, very hyper vigilant. Uh, I, I was also, I'd also developed into a caretaker, uh, care, care for everyone else's needs. And so, you know, so I came into this field, uh, in midway in my life, actually of my thirties, um, with a, a lot of trauma history and a lot of therapy. I had some really great therapists, really great compassionate therapists. I had a few that were not so much. I won't get into those stories, but you know, you learn from good examples and bad examples, um, and then I would say that my um, 
my schooling, my education was definitely steeped in uh, compassion. We learned a lot about Carl Rogers, right? Uh, Dr. Carl Rogers. And uh, he talks a lot about unconditional positive regard and the importance of uh, the therapeutic alliance, right? That there's, you can be the most brilliant therapist out there and do the most evidence-based practice. But if you don't have a a solid therapeutic alliance, then it'll all fall flat. And he really believed that. And, and I did too. And I was drawn to that. I don't know really why I was drawn to that. The other thing I would say um, is that uh, one of my favorite names for God is Emmanuel. So I, I love, I just love that name, God with us. And mm-hmm. I, I think uh, there's a lot of people out there who would believe, um, you know, think of God as more as the judge or the one who condemns us and all. But I just like to think of God as just someone who really wants to be with us. And the, the best the best definition I heard uh, in, in my life uh, for joy was being with someone who wants to be with you, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. really resonated with me. So I think all of those things together just pointed me in a direction. And I was drawn to, you know, to reading like the work of Sherry Geller, up in Canada on, on a therapeutic presence. Uh, she's written some great books on on that. Um, and uh, so everything and everything my training and understanding has led me there. And I have to say also, I don't frankly understand anybody who would work in this space hmm. without compassion. I actually don't know how you would do it without being completely burned out. Mm-hmm. You you had uh, mentioned something towards the beginning, uh, saying you know you learn from the good and bad examples, mm-hmm. and there's so much in my life that I feel like when people have been a good friend to me, that has then taught me how to be a good friend to other people, mm-hmm. and so that is so true. I think and so helpful when we can kind of say what how does it feel when somebody talks to me this way or how does it feel when this happens and then either not repeating it or passing it along when it is beneficial mm-hmm. and so yeah um did you have any questions there? no 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 questions you know i i can i can attest to the to the way you um the way you are uh you know the the one story that i will tell people and i always remember this is um during our full th- therapeutic disclosure you know, what's you know, you walk into that, you know, it's something you have to do. You're full of shame. You think you're the worst person in the world and you're about ready to read in graphic detail all the shameful things that you wanted to take to the to your grave. And so, you know, that that in that moment, you know, you're you're almost at your most vulnerable. I don't know if there's any other moment that's more vulnerable than that, but that's pretty vulnerable. And, and I'll never forget that, you know, you we you sat very close to me um and i and I, i'll be honest like initially i was like why is he sitting so close to me <laughs> but you sat very close to me and because you knew how hard it was and you immediately put your hand on my back and and like just describing that story just knowing as i was talking through this multi what was a multi-page document full of hard things and full of shameful things and and uh you know just you i could feel the love i could feel the compassion and it's still you know just recounting the story gives me chills you know just thinking about it because it was that moment you know that that hey you know no matter what happened and and you know no matter what happened between kyleen and i which you know i i'm sure you've seen it it actually went well for us but it i'm sure they don't always go well um but i i just you know i i can i can attest personally to the amount of compassion and empathy that you show in, you know, through that one example. Well, and I would say the impact that it made. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure, and that, sure. and, and, and I, I will say with that, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. I will say with that, this is why I insist, and some people don't, right, that when we're doing a formal disclosure, there are two therapists there because being one of the most difficult things that, that the addict has to do. And one of the most difficult things that the betrayed spouse has to hear, like you need two therapists who are fully focused on their clients, like super important for that. Cause you're right. It is, it's one of the heaviest kind of sessions I ever sit in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm mindful too. Um, 
Uh, I was thinking of before this uh, interview about uh, Patrick Carnes's belief about the four the four core beliefs of the addict, and and this is this will shed a little bit more light on why I come at it from from compassion. I wrote him down so I get him right here. He said uh, the the core beliefs are I'm basically a bad unworthy person. No one would love me as I am. My needs are never going to be met if I have to depend on others. And sex is my most important need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they all flow out of that. I'm basically a bad and unworthy person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't see humans that way, but I completely understand humans seeing themselves that way. When that, in. That's how you feel walking in, you know, that's how you feel upon discovery or whatever. And then that's how you feel walking into the disclosure as well. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, and not to turn this into a theology podcast too, but uh, I, just as a uh, recovering uh, ex-evangelical fundamentalist, um, <laughs> um, I will say that a lot of the way that reli- a, a lot of the way that religion is communicated teaches that first point mm-hmm. that you are fundamentally bad, and and I've really shifted my thinking in recent years to think no, God created you good. Mm-hmm. He created you good and there is sin in the world. Mm-hmm. And 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 that, you know, this evil comes from that. It's it's not that you were created bad. And so that mm-hmm. I think that is a a belief that that tiny little shift can make a huge impact in how we see ourselves, our willingness to forgive ourselves, how we view other people and how we treat other people and just you know how we interact in the world in general. Mm-hmm. You work both with the addicted and also heavily with um, betrayed spouses as well. What do you think are you know the hallmarks of healing or living a recovered life? Are they the same in in both? Um, are they a little bit different? What does that look like? Oh gosh, what a good question. Well, I, I want to start by saying one thing I never do is see the addict and the recovering spouse, you know, I don't, I don't see both of them because I find it really, and I'm actually never tried. I can't even imagine, right. Giving my full self, my full compassionate self to one and then having to do the other, because I don't know. I don't know how people do it. Some people may do that. So, because I want to show up with all my compassion, all my love mm-hmm. for, for one. And that, what that does not mean is that I don't have some empathy for the other when I'm working. Right. So I, I work from the same, uh, the same mindset. Um, and I do think there are some, some, some similarities um, in, in working with both. Let me see if I can um, identify what those are. So I, I, a lot of times will quote, I know Pat has heard this, this quote um, by Johan Hari, right? That the opposite of addiction is, what is it? Let me see. How, how does it go? Pat, do you remember? Connection. Yeah, that's right. That one. Yeah. The opposite of addiction. You got it. It's not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection, right? So yeah. so I do believe um uh, in in both instances, working with the addict or the betrayed partner, that we start from that framework that for sure addiction is a breakdown in connection. I think of it as a dissociative uh phenomenon, if you will, a total disconnection from self, from mm core emotions and from our relationships, right? Because how can you be totally connected in a, in a partnership if you're having to orphan off parts of yourself through addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so w- with, with that regard, uh, the way I would approach treatment for the addict is let's let's talk about what it would be like to reconnect with the truth of who you are, the truth and goodness of who you are. And let and then and that'll expose the, the, the things that you're not, right? So we do that through mindfulness, right? Connection, connection to the body, uh slowly connecting. Pat, you remember that you remember that process yeah. of reconnecting to your emotions. Yeah. I, I'll tell this brief story. Um it was a success, by the way. He's very connected <laughs> to his emotions now. <laughs> I know, I love it. I love that. I I might start crying right now. <laughs> okay. I okay, then I'm gonna tell this story about you, but I'll be very vague here. I just remember you saying something to the effect of, 
I just can't stop crying. It's what's wrong with me or something. <laughs> and and I think I may have left or something in my chair. Like that's amazing. This is yeah, so good. Yeah, like you're yeah. becoming more fully human. You're becoming more fully yourself. You have access to the full range of emotions. This is beautiful, beautiful trauma and addiction work right here. Because trauma and addiction are very similar. They rob us of our ability to connect to self and others. And that's. So that's where I come in with working with betrayed spouses, right? They're they're experiencing all of this post-traumatic stress. Uh, and, and by the way, huge post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms from the betrayal alone add to that, that what, what happens, um, and, and I see this you know, recently working with some uh, natu- natural disaster um, victims, that when something that earth-shattering happens, not only are you now dealing with that trauma, but even attachment wounds and other issues from long ago come up and mingle with it. So people people tend to think we're just dealing with betrayal trauma. We're just not. That's there. It's very rare to just be dealing with that. You you get all these things that you know were either kind of resolved or kind of tucked away. Now they're all coming to the surface, like running a motorboat across a, a still pond. All the stuff's coming up from the bottom, right? And that was hundred so, percent my experience. I, I I described it as trauma debris mm-hmm. because it was as soon as this happened, all of these other things started floating around. And it was almost like they got mixed up, and it was really like disconcerting for a little while because you know I was almost there was almost a phase where I was mixing up what was happening in my current relationship with my ex and all this kind of stuff, and I was like, whoa, the, I don't want to mix these things up, you know. But any fear, any insecurity, any limiting belief I had just, you know, highlighted exponentially when this happened. I re- uh, and I, I recall and it, it took a while to get there because everything that happened with Kyleen probably in the first two years, I always thought it was my fault. Like she had a cold, <laughs> my fault, ankle hurt, my fault, you know, and all these different things. And I'll, I'll I don't it was fairly recent, like in the last, let's say, year, I remember she had, you know, kind of an an emotional moment, was sad about something. And I remember she even said to me, this is not you. You know, she actually said, this is not you. And it was like, it was a victory. I was like, hey. (laughs) So, so yeah, it was, but, you know, certainly you go, well, you know, is there more to that because of what happened? So to your point on on trauma debris and. and, Well, and I think one other thing I want to say about that uh, in terms of, um, uh, you know, we're treating a system here. Okay. So a family is coming into my office either, either way, when I'm getting the partner or the act. This whole system is also coming into my office, and I want to always keep that in mind. And one way I keep that in mind, especially when working with addicts, is I just constantly have to gently remind them, um, this is about you and this isn't about you. Like your partner is having, uh, probably feels like their mind, they're losing their mind, right? Just like every little thing can be a trigger, right? Right. Right. That's not about you, and it is about you, right? Mm-hmm. So the best thing, and I don't, I, I'm forgetting the book it's in now. I get these jumbled up, but you know, you'll probably remember the book where uh, the author talks about always being present to validate the emotions that come up in your partner. Yeah, from that book. That's it. Yeah. And there's other steps too, but validate and reinsurance, I'm sure, are top are, are two of the, the three or four things that they list. And um and and here's what you don't do. Uh don't get super irritated by it. You know, right, right. Uh, be gentle. I mean, of course, say, you know, you you know, I I need a minute, let me take a break, whatever you need to do to feel safe, but just you're gonna have to just be really patient because you're gonna be the bad person for a long time. You know, you have to be patient with that. That's yeah. trauma-informed uh, uh, situation right there. Oh, right. So true. So true. Uh, what do you see as like the pillars of or the green flags of recovery in both sides? Oh, that's good. Um, so um, I'll tell you, actually, you know, in a lot of ways, the two of you are just I don't know. You've just done some things really beautifully in your journey. So I, in, in giving these examples, actually think of you too very often. Okay. When I'm talking to clients, I'm like, you know, I want to say, just 
be more like Pat and Kylene, you know, just do do what they did <laughs> because you you guys do do some things really beautifully. I I think uh, early on to establish a way of checking in with each other is just super important. So we you know we, we learn Thanos, and I try to encourage couples to lean into that. I and I always encourage addicts to sort of lead that process um, just because it feels right <laughs> to do that. Um, also, I don't think that this, this recovery journey is possible without an army of support. I have had some people try to do this thing alone, and I get it because of all the shame. You don't want to let people in. But um, having a support group, a 12-step group, a church group, some kind of people who you can be with and you can share all the dirty, awful stuff that you're going through and you won't be judged but you'll hear maybe like me too, or I get it. Mm. Like that is essential. Um, what was the other thing I was going to mention with that? Um, I I generally encourage even, and I feel terrible encouraging this. I'm not a huge journaler. I journal sporadically and spontaneously, but I do think that uh, journaling is a really powerful tool. And the people that I see who journal on a regular basis are the ones that tend to do better. Because really, you know, if we think about that uh, reconnection with self and others, it, that's a beautiful way to to reconnect. What what am I feeling? What's going on in my body right now? Mm-hmm. What, are, what are my thoughts? What are my emotions? Just to be able to name those things is really, uh, really essential part of that. And that, then I think the other part that is often neglected is doing good trauma work. Mm-hmm. Now, my favorite tool uh, with that is is brain spotting, but sometimes I'll do some EMDR as well, and and there are uh, there are other modalities. But but having the space for both addict and partner to be able to tell your whole story, mm-hmm. and then to do the trauma work where it needs to happen. Um, one one thing I wanted to to share with that I just started uh, reading reading a new book and I like I like to read books when they um, validate things I've been doing without <laughs> without thinking about it so it's this book by uh, Darren Ford um, who's a wonderful CSAT um, called Awakening from the Sexually Addicted Mind a guide to compassionate recovery isn't that nice so he's a um, he's a mindfulness-based therapist but he um he put this quote in here and and I just want to read it actually to you. I might read a couple of things, but he says, even if you as a child actively looked for sex, which he says kids don't, don't, don't do, it is up to adults around you to explain and educate you about engaging in the behavior in a safe and healthy way. Your brain was not fully developed yet. In fact, our prefrontal cortex does not fully develop till about age 25. So there's no way you can be fully aware of the impact of your choices you are making. When I get an addict in my office who says, I had a perfect childhood, like I have no trauma. I don't even know what, why people connect trauma to addiction, which I hear a lot. I will generally say, and it's almost always true, I'll say, what age were you exposed to pornography? Mm-hmm. And you know, the age just keeps going down and down and down. Right now, I think it's what, 10? I don't know, somewhere in that range. Sometimes it's earlier, 8, 9, 10. Um, and with high-speed internet, you know, kids aren't starting with pictures anymore. They're starting with videos. You know, imagine the impact of a little child watching rape mm-hmm. and has nobody to help interpret what, what he or she is seeing. Yeah. That's trauma. Mm-hmm. Significant trauma. If you don't have any other trauma in your life, early exposure to pornography is an assault to your humanity. I'm so glad you said that. So true. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought up the idea of trauma work and specifically talked about that. I heard someone describe it recently as um, there, there's a huge difference. And this kind of goes into what you were just speaking into. There's a huge difference from experiencing something as a child and having no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. And then experiencing something and having an adult um, explain it or make it like put it into context or, or make it make sense to you and the safety in one and the ability to process is very, very different when you have that adult presence, being able to communicate and explain and protect and guide. Um, and when you are left with a 
tiny little child brain trying to process something that you don't understand. It's so hard and it, it, your brain does the best it can with the information that it has, which is not much at five, at six, at eight. And what's weird, um, just speaking from my own experience is like the older you get and the more information you gather, it's, it keeps trying to process and put the pieces together. But by the time you become an adult, then you have all of these weird connections that, you know, have created fears or insecurities or, you know, whatever in your brain. And it was just trying to protect you the whole time, but that's the way it did it. That is so true. I think uh, others have said it better, but um, we some of the the worst and most intense trauma, and I don't like comparing trauma to trauma, but some some of the worst that I see in my office is trauma of neglect. Yep. You know, what did it you get? And if you didn't, which most of us didn't, get a good education about your sexuality and what's happening in your body and what you're going to ex- be exposed to and, you know, protecting you know kids from seeing those things the best we can that's profound neglect mm. neglect and then the uh, i don't know if it's okay to cuss so i'll try to uh, say this without we, we have it listed as explicit so, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so a, a wise person said i wish i remember who said but uh who said this but in the absence of, of information our brains make up all kind of shit Right. And so think about all the absences of information we received or didn't receive uh, as kids. We carry that through as as trauma and and, and particularly because uh, little brains, little kid brains need to protect the adults, because if the adults are wrong, we're screwed. Yeah. Right. So the the way you protect the adults is you think, oh, this thing happened. I feel really bad in my body. I feel a lot of shame. Must be because there's something wrong with me because there can't be something wrong with with mom or dad. I think I think one of the most powerful things that you did for me is is, you know, I was exposed at a young age too. Um, you know, much like a lot of a lot of guys, but you actually reversed the and, and I don't know the the, ther- the therapeutic method that that you did, but you created a scenario in in my mind through talk therapy where I rescued me. Mm-hmm. I, as an adult, came into that situation and rescued me, and that was a. Uh, uh, and, and you can probably describe what what process, yeah, but that was that was amazing. So you know what what a if you if you turn that on its head, what you just talked about. So now you you're saving yourself in 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 a noble and and um way full of integrity and and that's it's it was a really powerful powerful exercise for me to go through that i love it i love that thank you for reminding me of that beautiful scene i remember it yeah i I mean i love doing inner child work that's just a form of parts work right so parts work and internal family systems and all ego state therapy all those things are really big right now they've been around for a long time but but inner child work has really been around for a while and what a beautiful thing to realize that uh, even though you're you know, I don't know, 45 years old, however old you are, that you, uh, that your, uh, your little boy part or little girl part is still right there. We're just like trees, you know, all the parts mm-hmm. of us yeah. are yeah. still present. And so when we're feeling scared or um, oh, scared, especially we can, you know, put a hand on our belly, put a hand on our heart and just say, oh, what's up? I'm right here with you. I'm mm-hmm. here to take care of you. And I know you're scared. It's going to be okay because you don't have to. You don't have to do this now. I'm. I'm going to do it for you. Right. right. Yeah. Mm, it's yeah. It's 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 a uh, really functional way to reparent yourself in a healthy way that maybe didn't happen. And also, I think just for everyone who may be listening, going, "Oh, my parents did the best that they could." Absolutely. And we, we really like the idea of both and that, you know, many of us have parents that absolutely did their best with the information they had and they made mistakes or, and it hurt us in some way. The same as like Patrick and I tried really hard to be good parents and we 100% made mistakes, you know, and, and we recognize that. And so I think both can be true, right? Like you can have parents that tried that, that were, did their best to be present, that loved you and never, ever talked to you about that. 
or your parents have their own issues and maybe their own pornography issues. And maybe they were your accidental exposure because you found something in the house. Right. And so, so many different ways that that, that can be true in both scenarios. Um, and yeah, I love, you know, parts work is so awesome and there's so, so much validity and help, I think, to that in so many different ways. And Patrick's going to laugh because I did some parts work recently. And, um, one of my parts was like a little monster. And I literally, so sometimes you can, you can, uh, in, in different exercises that you do working through your emotions and trauma and whatnot, sometimes you can have little external things that you pull in to remind yourself of the internal work that you did. And so I went on Amazon and I got this little, um, pink monster stuffed animal thing. And because my monster had been gray. And then when we did this work, it turned pink, you know? And so I got this thing. I literally sleep with it. And every night Patrick is like, it's you and your little pink monster. But it's my visual reminder of, you know, these things that I'm learning, you know, of, you know, it's really okay to show up and be myself and, you know, all these things that we're working on and, um, you know, through exercises like that, through parse work and, and, you know, so like that. So it's really cool. It is really cool. I've started using, I don't know who, I think I came up with this on my own. I'm if I'm stealing it, I'm sorry. Um, but I think about a school bus, you know, we, a lot of us rode the school bus growing up. And, uh, you know, I think of all our parts being back there on the school bus, you know, but I want to be driving this bus. Okay. So, like, you know, when they come up and like, I want to drive the bus, you know, we got to pull the bus over, right? I had a bus driver who would do that. She'd pull over the bus. She'd be like, uh, we're not doing this. <laughs> Sit down, you know. And so, getting developing that good relationship. I, so I love that you have that that kind of relationship. I, I think I remember this too when we were working together. Uh, that I said, um, I think, and this could be with some someone else, but you were like, um, "How do we get rid of this attic part? Like, I just need to like kick him yeah. off the bus." Like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I rem- I think I remember looking at you and saying, "We don't." Yeah. Get rid of that part. I think. I think your. Um, I remember that. Your exact words were, you know, it, it was the what we were working through was actually a table, mm-hmm. and he had a seat at the table. The attic had a seat at the table, and you know he didn't have an oversized voice, right? It wasn't a, but you know the attic was was a role. It was a part, and and you know he you, you could you could say he had an outsized role in my life for a while, and. You know he's he, he he was there for a reason, but now he can step back and right. Well, yeah, if the, if you're not being a uh, you know if you're not being a recovering board chairman, then mm-hmm. that will uh, start making some noise. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I think what you guys just said is really important, just for the people that are listening. Is so Patrick goes, okay, I want to get rid of this addict part. I don't like this part of me. All of our parts are there for our benefit. They're serving something good in the system. Mm-hmm. And, and they may show up in ways that we don't like, like anxiety or depression or addiction or things like that. But they're there for a reason. And if if we try to ignore them, that's not going to ultimately heal. But, but what parts work is so interesting because it, it validates the part, but not in an unhealthy way. Right. So it's not saying that the way that that part is acting out is acceptable, but it's asking, why are you here? And what are you trying to communicate? Like what need are you trying to fulfill? Because when you can, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I find in addiction recovery that that's a crucial part of recovery be, is to find out why that part is there because then you can answer that need in a healthy way as opposed to sort of subconsciously acting out that need in an unhealthy way. You got it. It's it's really, I think, the difference between white knuckling and recovery, right? So white knuckling is to deny there's there's a thing and just fo- focus in on stopping a behavior without you know, it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know, over there. That's, you know, that's white knuckling. That does not end well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, recovery is when you bring that addict into the room and you sit down and you say, uh, what's going on, right? Just like you just described. Like, you you can't run my life, but I need to understand why you came about, what's your purpose. I know you're here to care for me. I know that's why you're here. Mm. Yeah. And I want to show you that I no longer need you. Right. I, want, I want you to watch. Here's how I'm going to demonstrate that. 
Why do you think trauma work is important for a betrayed spouse? And do you think it's harder for a betrayed spouse or an addicted to to notice that trauma is part of recovery? I guess that's a two-part question, but. It is, and I'll answer it in two ways. I can't tell you, I think it's the rule, not the exception, how many times I hear partners say, either either through their spouse or to me directly, uh, you know, like, he's the person that needs help. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. Why do I have to go to therapy? And what I just saw, and by the way, I totally get that. I think uh, people can feel like that's a punishment, but I just often just say, oh, no, you don't have to go to therapy. Like, you deserve to go to therapy. Like, you deserve to. This is what this is why I look at it. Like, you've been significantly wounded, right? And so, absolutely, you deserve care, right? And then to just to educate a little bit about, okay, this, this, uh, I'm just using an example, this um, impulse you, you have to just like, look through his phone all the times, or to check the phone records, or to do all this, super normal, by the way, very normal, it's called hypervigilance, right? It's called the brain saying, I need to know, I'm safe, and I'm going to continue to be safe. So I need to know all the things. Mm-hmm. That's hypervigilant. So I just try to educate, like go. I go through the 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 post traumatic stress criteria, and I just say, look, this, this, that, this is what's happening, and you deserve to heal from that. And healing doesn't mean you become somehow unaware or somehow naive or anything. In fact, it makes you more present, so that you can trust your gut even more, right? Without all these other things going on where you feel like you're losing your mind. So you get your whole self back through trauma work. That's what, that's the way I usually frame it. And that usually sells pretty well. Right. So, um, (laughs) I would even say, yeah, I like to to even say, instead of getting your whole self back, even that, um, it's because it's like we, a lot of times I'll hear like, Oh, I just want to be the person that I was. And I don't really think that's possible. It's like when you're willing to do the work, you get the 2.0 version that I think that's better. Oh, that's, I'm going to use that. That's that's some good language. I think it's honestly, it's a way harder sell for the addicted person. Because again, we've got that self, for most, I mean, there are occasions when I get someone who's completely disconnected from the shame, but when, when someone's really connected to the shame and they're really in that state of, uh, I, something's got to change here. I can't do this. Um, that's a really good place to be, first of all. Um, but oftentimes it's a hard sell for the addict to get them to believe that they too deserve to heal from the wounds mm-hmm. that are that addiction, right? They often will say, I just want to stop hurting myself and hurting people. Like, can you just make, make yeah. that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Versus, um, you know, getting them to see that, I mean, and the, the compassionate lens, which I admit is really hard for a lot of my addict clients to take on is that no, like that addiction didn't just spring up out of nowhere. Like it's got, I mean, I use the tree, right? I mean, we can pluck off that rotten fruit on this tree all we want, but if we don't look at that root system, it's going to keep producing bad fruit. Right. So, you know, get really that working on like you deserve and all those that you love deserve for you to heal. I think it was a number of years. I think it was, uh, you know, I, I knew that one of my, one of my traumas was some infidelity in earlier relationships but it took me a long time to kind of basically say, hey, I was betrayed too. And that, I mean, that was a- Oh, that was two, even super recently. Yeah, super recent. Even though in my mind, logically, I, I recognize it, but I think it was exactly what you were saying is I, I, it took me a while to kind of make that connection and have compassion on myself for that, you know, for that piece that, that had happened in my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Maya Angelou stated, I have found that among its other benefits, giving liberates the soul of the giver. Tara Hope is a nonprofit that is on a mission to support women experiencing and recovering from sexual betrayal trauma. We do this by providing education and resources, as well as connecting them with and paying for practitioners who guide and assist them through the recovery process so that they can lead happy and fulfilling lives again. If you are interested in supporting this nonprofit organization, here are a few ways to consider doing this. Number one, pray that we connect with the women who need us most. Pray for all the women who are granted scholarships that they find true healing. 
Pray for our coaches that they have wisdom in every session. Please pray for me as I continue to lead in an area that is unfamiliar territory and, to be honest, kind of intimidates me. Pray for the right people to be led to Tara Hope so that we can connect and grow into an organization that has an impact across the country. This includes bringing on a CEO, marketing specialist, fundraising specialist, and social media manager, to name a few of the people we would love to have in our team moving forward. Two, please consider sharing this podcast with pastors, churches, friends you know who might be interested, therapists or counselors who have a heart to help others, or even sharing a screenshot or audio clip on social media. Anyone you think that might be interested in learning that this organization exists. Number three, please consider donating. One six-month scholarship ranges from $3,000 to $3,600, and $150 would cover one session with a Tara Hope coach. Number four, and finally, if you are someone who is feeling called to help us grow, please reach out to us to let us know in what way you might want to participate. I mentioned earlier a few areas we need support. Someone who has experience running nonprofits, someone interested in running social media, someone good at marketing, etc. Honestly, whether you donate $5, cover us in prayer, or share this podcast with one person, we are so thankful for your participation. The smallest action of support can have a huge ripple effect, so never think that any contribution is too small. We are so thankful for each of you listening. To donate, please go to tarahopealliance.org forward slash donate. If you'd like to reach out to us, please email info at tarahopealliance.org. Okay, so one thing I, I would love to kind of have you speak into, uh, we've talked a little bit about it, I think, in the conversation in some aspects, but this idea that, and I think this applies on both addiction and betrayal recovery because it's just speaking into the trauma work aspect of it. Can you maybe talk into the idea that we can't just logically work ourselves through this? And I think that's why these other modalities are so important, mm-hmm. things like um things like EMDR, things like brain spotting, things like visualizations and inner child work and stuff like that, because it actually works on the subconscious level and really helps us process things in a way that our logical brain just, I feel like it's impossible to fully move through some of these painful things if we just try to think it through. I I feel like if we could just think through it, we would all be healed. (laughs) Oh, Okay, let me do the best I can. Okay, so I am, let me just say, I am not a neuropsychologist. Okay, there's, we're learning new things every single day in this field, and it's super exciting, and I just can't keep up. But what I do know is, right, this is not just a, a, a case of, I'm just deciding to wake up and do bad things, <laughs> you know, or I'm just deciding to be anxious all the time about my partner's whereabouts. This is not about that. Because you're right. If we could, who would decide that? Like, who would decide that? Nobody, right? It's not a matter of choice, or we would choose something different. We we kind of know that anecdotally, but what we know on the neuroscience level, right, is all that trauma is is in the is in the subcortical brain, right? So from the um, you know the limbic system, even even down into the the um, showing you like the, the your listeners can see but you know even down into the brain stem right it really connects to the deepest levels of trauma and so just as Bessel van der Kolk said and body keeps the score that book that's ahead of its time you know uh good trauma work is not top down in other words it's not from the the uh, neocortex or the prefrontal cortex down to the brain stem but it's bottom up right so we gotta find ways interventions that allow clients to get into that deeper level. So EMDR, brain spotting, other somatic kind of work will allow the client to sort of drop into those deeper levels. And, and the cool thing is when we when we drop into that, healing happens really rapidly as well. When we try to work on trauma as if it's sort of up here in the, the front part of our brain, this, you know, let's talk through it. Uh, if anything, it just re-traumatizes people. Yeah. 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 You don't want to run over, you don't want to verbalize and run over details over and over and over and over and over. Um, that can be painful. It can be hard. It can, it can dig in those neural circuits and make them deeper. And I mean, I, Patrick has experienced that with the brain spotting. I've experienced it with the subconscious reprogramming, the stuff that I've done and the stuff that I do with my clients. And sometimes it's just like, 
often there are multiple layers, but then sometimes you'll hit this one that's so specific and it just heals so quickly. And it is, it's literally life-changing. Something that's impacting you, a a negative belief about yourself or some of those beliefs that you listed out earlier, you know, and, and you start to process those things and those fears and those insecurities and you literally show up differently in the world the next day. And you begin to have that view that, no, I am good. I am worthy of love. I it, it is okay for me to use my voice and to show up in the world and to contribute. And I'm valuable and worthy of doing that. Um, it's okay for me to set boundaries, right? Like all these things that are part of recovery. And so like, I think that work is so, so helpful and so amazing and, and such a critical part of the healing process. And so I just think it's awesome. There's so many different angles that, uh, can do that now, you know, and that it is becoming more talked about and more popular and more um, utilized because it's just so impactful. That's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah we're literally just healing our nervous systems, right? Just expanding mm-hmm. the number of times. And I will say along with that too, that like, you know, being a human is super hard uh, these days. All you have to do is turn on the radio and you experience. Yeah. Like, I think it's also normal to suffer and normal to feel anxious and stressed and all these things. The The lie of addiction is that those things aren't okay. So let me seek out this life that's free from all these highs and lows, rather than just expanding our capacity to live in this this traumatic space called called earth right that's so um that's such a good point it's just increasing our resiliency basically i that that's so valid especially when you're talking about trauma because what like in my experience when you're moving through or, or when you're going through the trauma itself your resiliency is like zero right and so part of recovery then is building that resiliency back up so that you can navigate because triggers will happen. That's part of life. And someone will hurt your feelings and, you know, you'll make mistakes and there's no way to be a good enough person that nothing bad ever happens. And so, um, being able to have that resiliency and that tolerance and that flexibility again in life, I think that that's a really great point that that is a huge piece of what it means to live in recovery. Absolutely. I think it's just listening to the two of you talk. I, I was, was thinking about this, you know, as I've gone through my own recovery journey, um, over the last two plus years. And and I have a, the good fortune to have a job where I get to lead a lot of people. And, and I know that my own, <laughs> my, my recovery work, especially terminology and, and actions has made its way into lead into leadership. And so I, I know one of the things I'm more in tune to is I allow people to express themselves in a particular way, you know, in, in a particular setting, you know, there's always a there's always a line, right, that you could go over. But but um, I think sometimes when I pull people in after they've been emotional about something, they think I'm going to chew them out. And I never chew them out. I always say, you know, I think the question I always lead with now, I didn't before, is what are you afraid of? Let's talk about what you're afraid of. And and I think it, sometimes that floors people. They they don't know what to think. But then as, as we work through it, we kind of do get to the root of it. And then we're able to kind of resolve that and then move forward. And, and I don't think I would have ever, ever done that, you know, in 2020. Yeah, 2020. And I've been leading organizations for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, you know, it's, it, it's, it's nice to be able to kind of, I think it's as you recover, and you become a healthy person. It's not just about doing, doing, not doing the addictive behavior anymore, you, you do show up in a different way. And, I, and that's just one example of how I think I'm, you know. Okay. I, I will second that, that um, he's he's the best non-therapist therapist that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he does it to me all the time. I mean, he picks up on exactly how to use the language to communicate, um, you know, to help you think through things. And uh, it's, it, it really is good. I'm quite impressed a lot of times. I'm like, oh, you, you, you use that language stuff better than I do. And you do, you know. Like, I learned just, it from you and you, Charles. <laughs> you know, you, you both have been great. You know? It's so interesting because it's like um, the just to interact with that, you know, and just how much he absorbs it and then immediately implements, right? And so, like, how, how, he has really learned how to use it, how to like interact with other human beings, 
you know, and how to communicate on a different level. And I think that that's been a huge, I think you've always been a compassionate leader, but I think this has really transformed communication and the depth to which you connect to people Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and interact with them for sure. And you're, you know, we we were talking about empathy and compassion. You really feel for people more and more too, as you, as you heal, you just really feel that, you know, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm um, like my, my, you know, my wife is really sick. We think she's going to die. You know I mean? You, it, it hits you harder. It hits you harder than it did before. Because really you feel does. your feelings. Yeah. Now. Yeah. You really feel it. Yeah. So You feel all your parts. I feel all my parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to ask you this question, you know, and, and, and I go through this sometimes with, with the groups as well as, is, I always will say that I had three legs to the stool of my healing. And, and it was one was Kyleen and, and the great support and grace she gave me and the boundaries she set and all of those things and the, and the terms that said, get your shit together. You know, that was all really, really good for me. The second was groups, you know, being in groups and supportive groups that had fantastic content and a plan. And then the third was was therapy. I, I think you know, and, and you know, meeting with you on a weekly basis for a year and a half was, you know, I don't think I'd be where I am today if that was not part of my my healing path. But as I as I as I talk to people and recommend therapy, a lot of times what I'll get is is well, I'm considering it, or um, I don't know if that would work for me. Um, how do you handle objections to? the therapeutic or the coaching route, you know, that, that you may hear at times. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's so good. Um, well, well, um, you know, first of all, a good number of my clients end up in my office, uh, in a space where, um, they're about to lose their marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that tends to be what gets people through the door, which I totally sure. get. I'm hoping that that's not what stays the motiva- motivation throughout. Right, for people who really do deep recovery, that doesn't that doesn't stay the, the primary motivation um, with that. So I, let me, let me say there there are some really good barriers that I that I do run into, and one one is cost. Right, mm-hmm. so therapy can be uh, can be pricey. You know, I I get that. Um, one way around that. In my practice is that I do offer groups, which is uh, their therapy groups, and they are um, far far less expensive than I think actually in some ways far more powerful than individual therapy. And there are beautiful uh, ways to do, let's say, paratherapy, if you will, like the program I know you're involved with. Uh, Patrick I, is is really deep and therapeutic. What happens with that program, and I do usually give this caveat, if you do this program, uh, stuff's going to come up. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. yep. And you're probably going to need someone to help process that at, the, at a deeper level because this is not a therapist-run program. That's right. Yeah. And and so I would I would usually say, like, I wouldn't do it unless you're going to have a, a therapist because, I mean, that stuff can be overwhelming. Yeah. It was for me. When I first started my work, I started in sort of a, a para-therapeutic environment and all this stuff came, came up. And I don't know what I would have done without a therapist. So uh, I just, I usually tell people that this addicted part of you uh, is probably, there's there's a lot under the surface that you don't know about and it's going to start coming out and you're going to need some good therapeutic support. So let's figure that out. Like there, right. there are ways to figure this thing out. I'll help you figure it out. You know, I, I've done uh, some sliding scale with people just, just to help, in, in that space. Um, but I, I just want to say, I mean, money is one of those things. I, I totally get that. There are a lot of people who can't afford therapy and I, I do feel uh, for that, that one thing. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I get a lot of other excuses uh, because people are usually so scared of losing their family and losing their spouse. They're highly motivated. Yeah, you are. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll, well, I'll just throw my own example in here. Cause when, um, Years ago, it was like back in 2015 or 2016, um, when we looked for a therapist and we, I I can't remember how we did it. We like looked through like our insurance or whatever, Mm -hmm. but uh, I had some negative experiences and particularly with what I was going through at the time. And so when, when betrayal happened, I was very resistant for about a month or so because I was really scared of being in such a traumatic state and 
you know, it's very vulnerable. You have to share your story with somebody and you have to trust that person and they have to know what they're talking about because if they don't, and if they don't understand what you're going through or, you know, whatever, it could be a bad experience. And then you've wasted time or money or both. Yeah. And I remember years ago before this, that I came home after a session and I just like collapsed into him crying. I was like, that was not helpful for me at all. It was not helpful. Mm-hmm. And it was scary to me. But then this experience was so much different and it was so helpful and so healing. And, um, you know, it just, it was transformative really. So I, I love whenever possible, you know, if you can get like personal referrals or, you know, or even like, you know, if, if, uh, you know, doing something like Tara Hope Alliance, right? Like we've really made, if you, if you vibe with us on the podcast or our personalities or what we believe in, we've been very, very careful to choose people that we do trust like you, um, that are highly qualified. And so it is going to be a very safe experience, right? So I would just throw that in there too, that it is, um, I think there have been situations maybe where people have had bad experiences and it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to echo that and say some of the horror stories I've heard in this space are, they're just really bad. I, and and a lot of times they're super abusive toward women. When I hear therapists say, even female therapists saying, you know, well, if you were more this or more that or be more sexual, I'm like blaming a, betray- a betrayed spouse, like horrible stuff or uh, or for for men that I work with, uh, you know, having uh, therapists say this isn't a problem. You know, this is all men do this. You know, I mean, like there are legitimate horror stories out there. And what I want to say, benefit of the doubt is like. Okay, I mean, I've been doing a lot of training to not show up that way as a CSAT, and maybe they just have it. But I still think, how awful is that? Like, how how could you could trauma and addiction walk into your office and you be that like blaming and dismissive? So maybe there's part of that too, uh, Kylene. People have those stories, and they tell those stories, and families tell those stories, and right. you're getting, oh, by the way, the church is telling those same narratives, right? And so. So true. Oh, stop, everyone. You know, yeah. I, you know, I, I think I, 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 and and I've I used this analogy with with somebody because they had said they'd had a bad uh, therapeutic experience, and it was like, it was like, well, you know, you run into people in your life that you jive with, and sometimes you don't, and so um, don't be, you know, don't judge the entire therapeutic profession by one therapist. Um, you know, there are safe therapists out there. I mean, you and I, you and I jived right away. We, you know, we connected, we were able to, and you're very safe as well. But, you know, I've encouraged folks that like, hey, if you had a bad experience, you know, reconsider, you know, mm-hmm. let, you know, get back out there again, because, you know, not every, not every person is the same. Not every automobile is the same. You know, sometimes you drive in a bad automobile, you, you don't swear off driving for the rest of your life, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, 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 you know, it's, it's important to get back out there again. And because there are, it's, it's an avenue to healing. Well, and, and I think one of the things to add to what you're saying there is uh, neither sex addiction nor betrayal trauma are in that big, lovely book called the DSM. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of our field is driven by insurance companies uh, telling therapists how they can charge and bill and all this. And so that's a part of it as well, right? So when we have therapists who are, you know, trained in, in our institutions to think like, if it ain't in the DSM, it don't, don't exist. I want to say that that's part of the systemic issue that that needs to change, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, you know, there needs to be more uh, of me out there. I mean, you know, there are like two CSATs in this Dayton area. Yeah. yeah. Two. Yeah. And it's a much bigger problem. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I I hear that all the time when people reach out, you know, across the country and then they go, I don't have, you know, that, that in my area, or I don't have this in my area or there, you know, there aren't groups or, you know, this and that. And so, so we'll actually nicely tie that up with a bow with that's one of the reasons that we decided to do recovery coaches through Tara Hope is because they can connect virtually and, and work in that way. And, um, and you had touched on that financial aspect as well. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, we set up the nonprofit is so that we can help the betrayed partners that need that empathy, that wisdom, mm-hmm. um, those resources, that guidance from 
safe people um, that are highly, highly qualified like you. And so we're so thankful that you are one of the recovery coaches and that you are um, on the podcast today. And thank you so much just for, I mean, just again, not to, you know, say it too much, but everything that you've done in our life, we just really do appreciate it. You've made such an impact. And so um, we're just thankful that you're here and, and, and on the episode today. And just thanks for your time. And thank you both, by the way, for your generosity. You Not only are you continuing to recover and heal, but just how generous you are with your time and your resources is super incredible. And I'm, I'm very grateful for both of you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.